You know, you coming here is a great honor for me. This is David Colosi with another Napping Wizard session. This time I'm doing an episode called Iggy Reads, which is a collection of Iggy Pop reading from books and other things. This will be more like a traditional radio show. Leaves of grass. So I won't be narrating much between the tracks. Come, said my soul. I'll just introduce and play them. Such verses for my body, let us write. It's a listening show, so sit back and let Iggy read to you. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Iggy Pop. The first one I'm going to play is called A Machine for Loving, and it's a reading from Michelle Welbeck's 2005 futuristic book, The Possibility of an Island. It's on Iggy's release titled Preliminaire from 2009. And the music is produced by Hal Cragen. Two weeks after my arrival, Fox died. Just after sunset. I was stretched out on the bed when he approached and tried painfully to jump up. He wagged his tail nervously. Since the beginning, he hadn't touched his bowl once. He had lost a lot of weight. I helped him to settle on my lap. For a few seconds, he looked at me with a curious mixture of exhaustion and apology. Then, calmed, he closed his eyes. Two minutes later, he gave out his last breath. I buried him inside the residence at the western extremity of the land surrounded by the protective fence next to his predecessors. During the night, a rapid transport from the central city dropped off an identical dog. They knew the codes and how to work the barrier. I didn't have to get up to greet them. A small white ginger mongrel came toward me, wagging its tail. I gestured to him. He jumped on the bed and stretched out beside me. Love is simple to define, but it seldom happens in the series of beings. Through these dogs, we pay homage to love and to its possibility. What is a dog but a machine for loving? You introduce him to a human being, giving him to love. And however ugly, perverse, deformed, or stupid this human being might be, the dog loves him.
Up next is one of the tracks from a limited edition EP of Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass, where Iggy joined in with the musicians Tarwater and Alva Noto. This is from 2016, and it's the third track. Iggy opens with the title of this excerpt. From pent-up, aching rivers. From pent-up, aching rivers. From that of myself, without which I were nothing. From what I am determined to make illustrious, even if I stand sole among men. From my own voice resonant, singing the phallus, singing the song of procreation, singing the need of superb children and therein superb grown people, singing the muscular urge and the blending, singing the bedfellows song. Oh, resistless yearning, oh, for any and each the body correlative attracting, oh, for you, whoever you are, your correlative body, you delighting from the hungry gnaw that eats me night and day from native moments from bashful pain singing them seeking something yet unfound though i have diligently sought it many a long year singing the true song of the soul fitful at random renascent with grossest nature among animals of that of them of what goes with them my poems informing of the smell of apples and lemons of the pairing of birds of the wet of woods of the lapping of waves of the mad pushes of waves upon the land i them chanting the overture lightly sounding the strain anticipating the welcome nearness the sight of the perfect body the swimmer swimming naked in the bath, or motionless on his back, lying and floating, the female form approaching, high pensive, love of flesh, tremulous aching, the divine mist for myself, or you, or for anyone making, the face, the limbs, the index from head to foot, and what it arouses, the mystic deliria, the madness amorous, the utter abandonment. Hark close and still what I now whisper to you. I love you. Oh, you entirely possess me. Oh, that you and I escape from the rest and go utterly off, free and lawless. Two hawks in the air, two fishes swimming in the sea, not more lawless than we. The furious storm through me careering, I passionately trembling. The oath of the inseparableness of two together, the woman that loves me and whom I love more than my life, that oath swearing. Oh, I willingly stake all for you. Oh, let me be lost if it must be so. each other and exhaust each other if it must be so. 
the master, the pilot I yield the vessel to, the general commanding me, commanding all from him permission taking. From time the program hastening, I have loitered too long as it is. From sex, from the warp and from the woof. From privacy, from frequent repinings alone. From plenty of persons near and yet the right person not near. From the soft sliding of hands over me and the thrusting of fingers through my hair and beard. From the long sustained kiss upon the mouth or bosom. From the close pressure that makes me or any man drunk, fainting with excess. From what the divine husband knows, from the work of fatherhood, from exaltation, victory, and relief, from the bedfellows' embrace in the night, from the act poems of eyes, hands, hips, and bosoms, from the cling of the trembling arm, from the bending curve and the clinch, from side by side the pliant coverlet off throwing, from the one so unwilling to have me leave, and me just as unwilling to leave. Yet a moment, O oh, tender waiter, and I return. From the hour of shining stars and dropping dews, from the night a moment I emerged flitting out, celebrate you act divine, and you children prepared for, and you stalwart loins. And here is one of my favorites. It comes from a 1997 compilation titled Closed on Account of Rabies, a collection of tales and poems by Edgar Allan Poe. In addition to Iggy Pop, it includes readings by Christopher Walken, Abel Ferreira, Marianne Faithful, Ken Nordine, Debbie Harry, and a bunch of others. It was produced by Hal Wilner. Here's Iggy reading The Telltale Heart. True. Nervous, very, very dreadfully nervous, I had been in them. But why will you say that I am mad? The disease had sharpened my senses, not destroyed, not dulled them. Above all was the sense of hearing acute. I heard all things in the heaven and in the earth. I heard many things in hell. How then am I mad? Hearken and observe how healthily, how calmly I can tell you the whole story. It is impossible to say how first the idea entered my brain, but once conceived, it haunted me day and night. Object there was none. Passion there was none. I loved the old man. He had never wronged me. He had never given me insult. For his gold I had no desire. I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. He had the eye of a vulture. A pale blue eye with a film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold. And so by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man and thus rid myself of the eye forever. Now this is the point. You fancy me mad. Madmen know nothing, but you should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded, with what caution, 
with what foresight, with what dissimulation I went to work. I was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before I killed him. And every night, about midnight, I turned the latch of his door and opened it, oh so gently. And then, when I had made an opening sufficient for my head, I put in a dark lantern, all closed, closed so that no light shone out, and then I thrust in my head. Oh, you would have laughed to see how cunningly I thrust it in. I moved it slowly, very, very slowly, so that I might not disturb the old man's sleep. It took me an hour to place my whole head within the opening so far that I could see him as he lay upon his bed. Ha! Would a madman have been so wise as this? And then when my head was well in the room, I undid the lantern cautiously, oh so cautiously, cautiously, for the hinges creaked. I undid it just so much that a single thin ray fell upon the vulture eye. And this I did for seven long nights, every night just at midnight, but I found the eye always closed, and so it was impossible to do the work, for it was not the old man who vexed me, but his evil eye. And every morning when the day broke, I went boldly into the chamber and spoke courageously to him, calling him by name in a hearty tone and inquiring how he had passed the night. So you see, he would have been a very profound old man indeed to suspect that every night, just at twelve, I looked in upon him while he slept. Upon the eighth night, I was more than usually cautious in opening the door. A watch's minute hand moves more quickly than did mine. Never before that night had I felt the extent of my own powers, of my sagacity. I could scarcely contain my feelings of triumph. To think that there I was opening the door little by little and he not even to dream of my secret deeds or thoughts. I fairly chuckled at the idea. And perhaps he heard me, for he moved on the bed suddenly as if startled. Now you may think that I drew back, but no. His room was as black as pitch with the thick darkness, for the shutters were close fastened through fear of robbers. And so I knew that he could not see the opening of the door, and I kept pushing it on steadily, steadily. I had my head in, and was about to open the lantern when my thumb slipped upon the tin fastening, and the old man sprang up in bed, crying out, Who's there? I kept quite still and said nothing. For a whole hour I did not move a muscle, and in the meantime I did not hear him lie down. He was still sitting up in the bed, listening, just as I have done night after night, hearkening to the death watches in the wall. Presently I heard a slight groan, and I knew it was the groan of mortal terror. It was not a groan of pain or of grief, oh no. It was the low, stifled sound that arises from the bottom of the soul when overcharged with awe. I knew the sound well. Many a night, just at midnight, when all the world slept, it has welled up from my own bosom, deepening with its dreadful echo the terrors that distracted me. I say I knew it well. I knew what the old man felt and pitied him, although I chuckled at heart. I knew that he had been lying awake ever since the first slight noise, 
when he had turned in the bed. His fears had been ever since growing upon him. He had been trying to fancy them causeless, but could not. He had been saying to himself, It is nothing but the wind in the chimney. It is only a mouse crossing the floor. Or, it is merely a cricket which has made a single chirp. Yes, he had been trying to comfort himself with these suppositions, but he had found all in vain, all in vain, because death, in approaching him, had stalked with his black shadow before him and enveloped the victim. And it was the mournful influence of the unperceived shadow that caused him to feel, although he neither saw nor heard, to feel the presence of my head within the room. When I had waited a long time, very patiently, without hearing him lie down, I resolved to open a little, a very, very little crevice in the lantern. So I opened it. You cannot imagine how stealthily, stealthily, until at length a simple dim ray, like the thread of the spider, shot out from the crevice and fell full upon the vulture eye. It was open, wide, wide open, and I grew furious as I gazed upon it. I saw it with perfect distinctness, all a dull blue with a hideous veil over it that chilled the very marrow in my bones. But I could see nothing else of the old man's face or person, for I had directed the ray as if by instinct, precisely upon the damned spot. And have I not told you that what you mistake for madness is but over-acuteness of the senses? Now, I say, there came to my ears a low, dull, quick sound, such as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I knew that sound well, too. It was the beating of the old man's heart. It increased my fury as the beating of a drum stimulates the soldier into courage. But even yet, I refrained and kept still. I scarcely breathed. I held the lantern motionless. I tried how steadily I could maintain the ray upon the eye. Meanwhile, the hellish tattoo of the heart increased. It grew quicker and quicker, and louder and louder every instant. The old man's terror must have been extreme. It grew louder, I say, louder every moment. Do you mark me well? I have told you that I am nervous, so I am. And now, at the dead hour of the night, amid the dreadful silence of that old house, so strange a noise as this excited me to uncontrollable terror. Yet, for some minutes longer, I refrained and stood still. But the beating grew louder, louder. I thought the heart must burst. And now a new anxiety seized me. The sound would be heard by a neighbor. The old man's hour had come. With a loud yell, I threw open the lantern and leaped into the room. He shrieked once, once only. In an instant, I dragged him to the floor and pulled the heavy bed over him. I then smiled gaily to find the deed so far done. But for many minutes, the heart beat on with a muffled sound. This, however, did not vex me. It would not be heard through the wall. At length it ceased. The old man was dead. I removed the bed and examined the corpse. Yes, he was stone, stone dead. I placed my hand upon the heart and held it there many minutes. 
There was no pulsation. He was stone dead. His eye would trouble me no more. If still you think me mad, you will think so no longer when I describe the wise precautions I took for the concealment of the body. The night waned, and I worked hastily, but in silence. First of all, I dismembered the corpse. I cut off the head and the arms and the legs. I then took up three planks from the flooring of the chamber and deposited all between the scantlings. I then replaced the boards so cleverly, so cunningly, that no human eye, not even his, could have detected anything wrong. There was nothing to wash out, no stain of any kind, no blood spot, whatever. I had been too wary for that. A tub had caught all. <laughs> when I had made an end of these labors, it was four o'clock, still dark as midnight. As the bell sounded the hour, there came a knocking at the street door. I went down to open it with a light heart, for what had I now to fear? There entered three men, who introduced themselves with perfect suavity as officers of the police. A shriek had been heard by a neighbor during the night. Suspicion of foul play had been aroused. Information had been lodged at the police office, and they, the officers, had been deputed to search the premises. I smiled, for what had I to fear? I bade the gentlemen welcome. The shriek, I said, was my own in a dream. The old man, I mentioned, was absent in the country. I took my visitors all over the house. I bade them search, search well. I led them at length to his chamber. I showed them his treasures, secure, undisturbed. In the enthusiasm of my confidence, I brought chairs into the room and desired them here to rest from their fatigues while I myself, in the wild audacity of my perfect triumph, placed my own seat upon the very spot beneath which reposed the corpse of the victim. The officers were satisfied. My manner had convinced them. I was singularly at ease. They sat, and while I answered cheerily, they chatted of familiar things. But ere long I felt myself getting pale and wished them gone. My head ached, and I fancied a ringing in my ears, but still they sat and still chatted. The ringing became more distinct. It continued and became more distinct. I talked more freely to get rid of the feeling, but it continued and gained definiteness until at length I found that the noise was not within my ears. No doubt I now grew very pale, but I talked more fluently and with a heightened voice, yet the sound increased, and what could I do? It was a low, dull, quick sound, much such a sound as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I gasped for breath, and yet the officers heard it not. I talked more quickly, more vehemently, but the noise steadily increased. I arose and argued about trifles, in a high key and with violent gesticulations, but the noise steadily increased. Why would they not be gone? I paced the floor to and fro with heavy strides, as if excited to fury by the observations of the men, but the noise steadily increased. Oh God, what could I do? I foamed. I raved, I swore, I swung the chair upon which I had been sitting and grated it upon the boards, but the noise arose above all and continually increased. It grew louder, 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 and still the men chatted pleasantly and smiled. Was it possible they heard not? Almighty God, no, no, they heard. They suspected, they knew. They were making a mockery of my horror. This I thought and this I think, but anything was better than this agony. Anything was more tolerable than this derision. 
I could bear those hypocritical smiles no longer. I felt that I must scream or die, and now again, hark! Louder! 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 Villains! I shrieked! Dissemble no more! I admit the deed! Tear up the planks! Here! Here! It is the beating of this hideous heart! So here's a short one. It's from Jim Jarmusch's 1995 film Dead Man, where Iggy plays the role of Salvatore Sally Jenko, cooking beans for his friends while wearing a dress and a bonnet. Like all of these readings, rather than songs, the backdrops are soundscapes. In this one, Jarmusch had Neil Young create the music for the film. Here, Iggy reads from the Bible. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand and I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, the wild beasts of the earth. Amen. Besides Dead Man, there are several films that Iggy is on screen and acting in, and in most of them he's reciting lines from memory. Now, he may be in this one too, but since Persepolis is an animated film, He was likely reading from the script in the recording studio. At least that's what I'm going to believe so that I can include this clip. Marjan Satrapi wrote Persepolis as a graphic novel in two parts, in 2000 and in 2004. Then she and Vincent Parano turned it into a French animated film in 2007. The story follows a young girl coming of age during the Iranian Revolution. It's based on Marjan's life. In the English version, Iggy reads the part of Marjan's uncle Anoush, a political revolutionary who is imprisoned under the Shah, then released after the revolution, who is ultimately executed by the fundamentalist Islamic regime. I've edited this clip to keep Anoush's story together, but there's one part by Anoush's father that I needed to keep in for context. Let's see. I'll start at the beginning. And the music is by Olivier Bernet. I was 18 years old when my uncle Feridun and his friends proclaimed the independence of the Iranian province of Azerbaijan. Feridun appointed himself Minister of Justice of this brand new little republic. I soon became his secretary because we shared the same ideals. It wasn't easy for me to stand by my uncle because my father was loyal to the Shah. My son is a traitor! You fool! Follow my stupid brother, go ahead! But be warned, okay? You'll all end up with a bullet in your head! Unfortunately, my father was right. And one morning, I had no choice but to run away, leaving my uncle to face his destiny alone. days and days I walked through the wind and snow. I was cold and I was hungry, but I kept on going. I crossed the Alborz Mountains and sought refuge at my parents' home in Ostara. I couldn't stay. The Shah's army was looking for me. I had to go into exile.
I swam all the way across the Aras River and finally reached the Soviet Union. First I went to Leningrad and then to Moscow. I got a doctorate in Marxism-Leninism, but it was hard being so far away from my family. I missed them so much I tried to take a train home with a fake passport, but it didn't work. They arrested me. You know, the reason I'm telling you all this is that it's important that you know the history of our family. That should never be forgotten, even if you don't understand everything and even if it's painful for you. Here, this is for you. It's made of bread. I sculpted it when I was in prison. All right, and here's a fun one to split the show up a bit. It's Iggy in 2016 at Rizzoli Bookstore in New York City at the release of Jeff Gold's book, Total Chaos, The Story of the Stooges. The audio is captured by Jeff Slate. I found it on YouTube. Here, Iggy recites the lyric for the theme song he wrote for the 1984 cult classic film Repo Man. The, the lyric is basically uh, half me and half the character. And, you know, he can't get fucked. He can't get kissed. He's obsolete. He's a teenage dinosaur. You know, there's a, uh, let's see, the lyric to it. It's as close to being one of those terrible bad Dylans as I ever got. <laughs> it goes, I was riding on a concrete slab down a river of useless flab. It was such a wonderful day. I heard a witch doctor say, I'll turn you into a toadstool, but I'm looking for the joke with a microscope. A muscle twitch and auto swerves. You want to speak, you lose your nerves. Infinity throws you a curve, dumps you in shit you don't deserve, and life flows by you in a blur, leaves you murmuring a dirty word. A page out of a comic book, a chicken hanging on a hook, a reverie, a babbling brook, a sermonette, a TV cook, shaking the hand that you're baking, a suicide, a certain look, a microphone, a blues guitar, Heaps of feeling near and far, stupidity, a mental scar, cruelty, oh, cruelty, offering no inspiration, an alcoholic at the bar, every insult goes too far. I was pissing on the desert sand, the desert whispered to me, said, isn't this a shame, things will never be the same, frustration makes me so angry. I'm looking for the joke with a microscope. I was a teenage dinosaur, stoned and obsolete. I didn't get fucked and I didn't get kissed. I got so fucking pissed. Using my brain for an ashtray, using my head for an ashtray. Now I'll tell you who I am, I'm the repo man. And I'm looking for the joke with a microscope. So that's... And I'm going to round out the show with some brand new ones. Here is Iggy reading a Lou Reed poem titled We Are the People, which Lou first published in a magazine called Fusion and read at St. Mark's Church on the Bowery, both in 1971. And it only appeared later in a 2018 publication of Lou's poems called Do Angels Need Haircuts? 
It's one of the first products to come out of the Lou Reed archive, now housed at the New York Public Library. In the spirit of what radio used to be, a site where new releases were featured, this recitation is from Iggy's newest recording, Free, which was just released in September 2019. We are the people without land. We are the people without tradition. We are the people who do not know how to die peacefully and at ease. We are the thoughts of sorrows endings of tomorrows. We are the wisps of rulers and the jokers of kings. We are the people without right. We are the people who have known only lies and desperation. We are the people without a country, a voice, or a mirror. We are the crystal gaze returned through the density and immensity of a berserk nation. We are the victims of the untold manifesto of the lack of depth of full and heavy emptiness. We are the people without sorrow who have moved beyond national pride and indifference to a parody of instinct. We are the people who are desperate beyond emotion because it defies thought. We are the people who conceive our destruction and carry it out lawfully we are the insects of someone else's thought. A casualty of daytime, nighttime, space, and God. Without race, nationality, or religion. We are the people, the people the people. Also on free is Iggy reading Dylan Thomas's poem, Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night. I remember that John Cale also recorded this poem as a song years ago. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. The wise man at their end. 
I'm not going to play this one, but instead encourage you to go out and check out Free. But I will end with another one from 2019. In the liner notes on the LP of Free, Iggy says that he lets other musicians speak for him, and he just lends his voice. Here he's not speaking only about Lou Reed and Dylan Thomas. He's also speaking of his collaborators, Laurent Thomas, who co-produced Free and added a bunch of cool trumpet, and Noveller, who provides soundscapes for several of the songs. Like Lou Reed, who collaborated with Nico, Little Jimmy Scott, Anthony, and later Metallica, and David Bowie, who supported Iggy with his music career all along the way, and later joined Tin Machine, and finally in Black Star introduced Donnie McCaslin and his band to more of us, Iggy, in his late career, is working in the same vein as his friends. He collaborates with Peaches on a song on Skull Ring, and the Welbeck book plays a big role in Preliminaire, and Joshua Hami of Queens of the Stone Age is a co-collaborator on post-pop depression. So in this spirit, on the final track of Free, The Dawn, which I'll end my show with, Iggy reads one of his own poems and lets Noveller, who is Sarah Lipstate, produce a soundscape via email. True to her stage name, when I first heard the song, I thought of it as a soundtrack to a novel that hadn't yet been written. It made me think of Cormac McCarthy's The Road, and it turns out that just as The Road was made into a film with a mesmerizing soundscape by Nick Cave and Warren Ellis, The Dawn is also a short film soon to be released. Just like Neil Young's soundscape to Dead Man, Noveller's work on The Dawn lands it right in this lineage. Waiting for the dawn again. The darkness is like a challenger to all my schemes and orders and forced good nature. To just lay down is to give up. You gotta do something. Something. Because the dark is like a challenger. And he will point out the sore point. The wanting point. In my stage of the game, he'll point out memories. Basic, basic memories. The few moments that make life any fucking good. And he'll put those in my face. In the dark. If all else fails, it's good to smile in the dark. Love and sex are gonna occur to you. And neither one will solve the darkness.
There are other recordings of Iggy Pop reading out there. Besides the Dylan Thomas, there are more of the Walt Whitman recordings. In addition to the EP Leaves of Grass, there's another one by the same musicians entitled Kinder Adams. And there's also another Welbeck reading called To Stay Alive, and probably several I haven't found yet. I've nothing but my name. I've nothing but my name. This is David Colosi with the Napping Wizard Sessions. It's only natural. All revolutions go through a period of transition. Half the country is illiterate. Nationalism or religious fervor are the only things that can bring people together at a time like this. Special thanks to Brick. I have faith in the people. After putting up with a dictator, they'll do what it takes to preserve their freedom. Tune in again for something else. Things will work out. It'll be fine. C'est une chanson qui nous ressemble. Toi, tu m'aimes. Et je t'aime. Nous vivions tous. Les deux ensemble. Toi qui m'aimais. Moi qui t'aimais.